0: You know, a few weeks back, uh, a young man walked up to me, and uh, we know he's not that young. He might look it, but don't let him deceive you. And uh, everybody, when they first met CJ, they, they were like, oh, look at him. He's like 26 years old. I go, no, he's not 26 years old. Do I look like I'm 26 years old? No. Anyhow, and uh, so anyhow, now up underneath that, that do-rag, that hat, I know you have gray hair, but we never see it because you keep it hid. Just kidding. And uh, so I've decided I'm changing my look, and I'm going to do the same thing. And uh, that's why I got rid of the goatee because it was so white that I looked like Santa Claus. So it added 10 years to my age. But anyhow, he walked up, you know, after service. He said, You know, Pastor, I was thinking something. The Lord spoke to me today. And he did. And he said, Yes. And and I said, Well, what did he say? Then he said, Well, that sometime I'd like to share my testimony. And I said, Okay, great. In two weeks, you can do it. He said, What'd you say? I go, No, what did you just say? And he said, No, what'd you just say? I said, In two weeks. But what did you just say? And he said, Well,. You know, the Holy Spirit and the Lord was speaking to me during service today, and I said, well, do you think I'm going to argue with God? No way. And so we are here, and uh, we're here because of the grace of God. And I'm also, I want you to rejoice with me as we rejoice together as a family, as we rejoice with CJ. Yesterday was his one-year anniversary of sobriety. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we are thankful that, you know, the Lord's continued to walk with him and talk with him and and guide him. And so it is with great pleasure, privilege, and honor that I get to have this young man share his story of redemption with all of our people here at New Hope. So let's give CJ a good click clack and a clap. Come on up, brother. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> Alright. Oh man, thank you, Pastor Todd, uh, Miss Becky, like all you guys here. Like uh when God spoke to me that day, like it literally I knew it had to be here. I mean there's other meetings, there's other rooms, there's other places to be to to give this, but um the programs that they have, twelve step, no matter what rooms, all those things, they mean something and they're good. But uh, it's funny. The 12th step then tells you that you're going to have a spiritual awakening that you, as a result of these steps, that you will find God, spiritual awakening, you have this renewal. But it kind of stops there with a lot of it, and there's so much more than that. It's a good stepping stone to creating faith and understanding God, but there's so much more. People say, all you need is this book. I'm like, no, all you need is that book. (laughs) It all comes from there anyway. But uh, I said, thank you, everybody, for being here. Like, uh, this means a lot to me. I love you guys. Like, I love being here. I love this church. Um, I've been to a lot of them. I've never been to a church before that the pastor comes and speaks to each and every person that comes to the door, gets to know your name, gets to know your story, gets to know who you are, actually spends that time and earnestly wants to know you. That's an amazing feeling, you know. makes you feel like family from the jump. So I appreciate that. Uh, this is my testimony. This is my story. Uh, it's a story of... Redemption, It let you know that you can be redeemed, you can be restored, you can be renewed, but first you have to be reborn in his image. Through Christ, all things are possible, you know, and uh, I did a lot of things in my life that uh, were for my own glory, for my own. I mean, I was always, I was really blessed with a lot of gifts from God, and things came easy to me growing up. School was easy, sports were easy, talking to people were easy kind of like, it was too easy. It was too easy. And uh, all that glory, I'll let you know, all those things I've ever considered, I mean, some, as far as the world is concerned, when we return to dust, they mean absolutely nothing. They mean nothing. Things meant for his glory, things meant for his name, they last forever. They only added the glory here on heaven and on earth, both. It's, and it's everlasting. Um, see, I was born in Puerto Rico. Well, I, I, I was conceived and born there, which in, in, in Puerto Rico they call it Boricua, which means of the island. It's an old uh, Tiano word, the uh, Indians that were there. It means of the island. And uh, I grew up in Akron, Ohio, though, South Akron. And in Akron, it was basically like a black and white society. So I always felt kind of outcasted in a way. You know, I could always make myself fit into certain groups or whatever it was and uh, adapt it, I guess. But it was always kind of odd. I was always kind of stuck between, kind of stuck between. It was like, it was weird. Because now I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of different cultures there now. But then it was just kind of a, a black and white thing. And nice to get like, uh, uh, freaking Puerto Rican or go in the boat, go back in the boat and go where you came from. And so I fought a lot growing up. Like my mom, <laughs> I love you. She was PTA president and playground supervisor in my elementary school. And uh, I probably got suspended 40 times for fighting. And she just to had to pink card me, take me to her boss to suspend me. Like I was rambunctious. I was always a good. I was. I was a good kid. I, I loved people, but I guess when you have such a strong emotional and you wear your heart on your sleeve, especially as children, they can. It, every time I felt that bruised ego that I give myself to somebody and they would bruise it, I would. Yeah, you know, I'll show you. I'll show you. You know. So I mean, I could always. I mean, and it's it's amazing thing nowadays that I'm so passive and I'm so. I was always the fighter. I was always constantly that way. But uh, I said, "Well, what's going on." Um, I grew up. I mean, it was a pretty decent. It was pretty decent. It was a decent middle class neighborhood at first. Then it kind of got to be, you know, South Akron. You know, but uh, it was. Uh, I'm glad for it because it molded me who I was. Taught me a lot of things. I mean, it was. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm thankful for it all today. But uh, uh, let's see, got some troubles as a kid, things like that. Uh, I didn't finish high school. I dropped out actually my senior year. And I got my GED right before I joined the Marine Corps. So it was, uh, you know, for a long time I tried to hide those things. You know, you try to hide your mistakes, hide your flaws, hide your your faults. You think the world's going to judge you. But uh, I've learned through recovery and through faith that when you open yourself up and you let people have those vulnerable parts of you, those mistakes that you make, we all have them. We all have them. um, I take ownership of that. I take responsibility for that. Now you can't hold it against me. I admit to it. You know, it's mine now. Uh-huh, now, now it's, it's, it's mine. I take that responsibility. Um, I won't too involved too much in the Marine Corps. It was a some of the best and worst years of my life, and I'm glad for it because it did help me. Uh, it was the first time it kind of broke me down in boot camp to nothing to build you up, but it's too much ego-driven. It's too much, and that's why I was good at it, because it was instant gratification. Oh, you're crap hot, but I'm not going to use the other word, that's what they called you, you know, it's like, I got promoted out of boot camp, I got merch, promoted corporal, I mean, it was like, I was on this fast track, and it was, but it was all about glorifying yourself, glorifying this thing, you know, and it was, so I said, I'll leave it at that, but, um, uh, after getting out, um, I was out in uh, California for a while, because I was at Camp Pendleton at the end, and I was in California, and, uh, got a job out there, um, And I decided I was going to move to Miami. My father was in Miami. He was never really part of my life. I think it had a lot to do with the fighting, too. I found that uh, kids who feel abandoned as a child, um, they have anger issues. You feel like that abandonment. And especially with me with my dad, it was, I was always into sports, and I was always doing these things, but he was never around. So it was like, I always had to prove myself. When I first started sport, it would be, I always get put on like these waste away teams, you know, so I had to prove myself. And then you get put on greater teams and things like that. But it was – I held it against him for a long time, you know, that he wasn't there to help me push me. Because, I mean, I was well, – I was really good at sports. And it was like I didn't have that standing kind of force to be like, fear the, fear my dad. Whoop my butt because I was a stupid rebellious kid, you know. And that kept me in line. But uh, I said uh, – I moved down to Miami. And that's when – I mean, I had my life together. I had a really good job. I was working for a worldwide wholesale forklift. Made really good money single, you know, it was like I worked a lot during the week, did what I want on the weekends, but my brother was going through some things. He had a traumatic brain injury. And before that, he was the best of us. He was the kid you wanted in high school. He was the one that never got in trouble, listened to his teachers. He struggled some in school, but he was more into band and arts. So his brain taught a little differently. Um, but he was, uh, he told on himself. He's the most honest guy I ever knew. He would do something he would tell on himself all the time. And, uh, So we were like night and day a lot of times, but uh, he got a traumatic brain injury, and all of a sudden, he wasn't him. He was put in a coma for a little while. He learned how to walk and talk and all that stuff, and uh, he wasn't him no more, and he got into drugs and alcohol really bad, really bad, and uh, he, when he started, he couldn't stop, and he went around. He went with my my mom, my sister, my aunts, my grandma. He stayed with all of them while I was in Miami, and I told him, you guys need a break. Let me take him. Let me take him. So he came down there. I got him into treatment because he wouldn't admit he had a problem really to anybody. But he knew me. I wasn't going to judge him. We had that kind of that bond at that point in time. And I had become at this point in time more like the older brother. It was weird because he was four years older than me. But it was at some point in time I became like the older brother, the one that watched out for him. And he comes down there. I get him into treatment. He's doing pretty good. And this made me carry more resentment for my father because he was down there, but he wasn't helping me. I was going to family days. I was the one down there making sure he had everything he needed, you know. And it was I resented him for a while too because. I'm glad I was there for that, but I should have had a shared responsibility. It shouldn't have been on me. And uh, not too long after that, he gets out. He gets he out of treatment, and uh, he starts living with this one girl, and she was bad news. I knew it from the start. And uh, I stopped over there one day after work. Because I, I lived in Miami, but I, li- I worked in Fort Lauderdale, and he was in Hollywood, which is right next to it. And this was like the day that literally, like two days, the kind of earth stood still for me. This is what broke me. All the things I'd been through in my life, all the disappointments, all the other things, I never was this broken. And uh, I saw, the last time I saw him, I argued and kind of wrestled with him because he couldn't even keep his eyes open to me. He was just bobbing. He was so messed up. When he when he did pass, he found like 12, 13 different drugs in his system, including alcohol. And uh, so I, I was mad at him, man. I was like, I, I can't believe it. And this was six days before his birthday. I took him on his birthday and we went to GameWorks and played video games and stuff. And I remember... God has always kind of given me discernment. Like, I can see things before they happen. I know where it's going to go. And there's this guy who's homeless, and he's messed up, and he's walking across. I told him, it made me cry. This is going to be you. If you don't stop this, if you don't find it within yourself, this is going to be you. Well, the last time I saw him was uh, on January 14th, 2005. And January 15th, I woke up in the morning at like 7.30 to go apologize to him. And I found him dead. It was so surreal. My older brother, the guy who I always judged myself against, you know, he was gone. He was cold and he was lifeless on that floor. And I remember carding him. He was so cold and stiff. And I remember saying to him, I'm sorry for every single time I failed you this morning and And I'll never forgive myself. I'll never forgive myself for this. And it was and it was crazy. Some of the cops and paramedics get there. It's already too late for him, so they're taping off the place. And I'm outside, and I'm pacing. You know, I'm nervous, I pace. And my mom calls me. On a Saturday morning, she, there was no reason. And this is the one I knew God, even though I couldn't admit it at the time I look back now, God was there because this happened. My mom calls me, and I could not not pick up the phone. I could not not tell her her baby's dead. So she answers it. And by the grace of God, my sister was there. She was living in Conning out the way, which is like the last town before Erie, you get to Pennsylvania, three hours away. And she was there that day. And I told her, my was had passed. And they knew, kind of, was coming, but you could never prepare yourself for that. And it was, uh, there was a part of me that died that day. There was a part of me that died that day. And I decided to move up and pack up and come back to Akron, Ohio. And the big reason was because my mother, she lost her son. I figured having me around would be better. So I get here, and I don't, I don't deal with it. I push it all down. I keep it all inside, and uh, I try to act like everything's okay. You know, I'm good. But I noticed then that I stopped hanging out with everybody that used to know me before because they could tell something was changed, something was different in him. I could fake the funk with everybody else. I could turn on that charm, turn on that charisma, that false bravado, and I could fake the funk. Even my family, I really didn't hang around them much. And I, I joke around say my picker got broke. When you think yourself this big, you subconsciously will choose somebody to be in a relationship with that you know is going to treat you like crap because that's what you feel about yourself. You can tell a lot about somebody when they get into a relationship of what they think of themselves by that person. It's a lot of it. That's why if you do not heal in a relationship and take that time to find out who you are, you're going to pick that same, those same behaviors. You're going to be in that pattern. You're going to choose somebody just like it. And I had to learn that. Eventually, <laughs> but, uh, uh, so I went through like two, ye- 12 years and like two very toxic relationships. I'm talking like, I tried to fix these people. I've talked to therapists and things I've been through quite a bit <laughs> and, uh, they told me I transfixed that, trying to fix my brother, fix my brother, fix my brother, trying to fix them. Like I can make up for that. I can make up for failing him by fixing them. Um, um so, and, and it was funny, um, after the first one, I was married and, uh, I don't know. I was in, like, this stupor. I woke up one day kind of out of the funk of depression and all that stuff. And I realized I was married. So you know what? I was going to make the best of it. I made my boat. I made my bed. I'm going to lay in it. I have to do what I have to do. And, uh, eventually after trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying, um, and I wasn't perfect. I had plenty of my own mistakes, own faults in that. I don't I don't put 100% 100, 100 of any blame on anybody. It's always, it's always shared. But, um, I filed for divorce that weekend. I met my baby's mother, my son's mother, and God was like, oh, no, you're going to learn this lesson. It was like a worse version of her. It was like a worse version of her. I mean, it was like being with her, but it was worse. It was like she was more damaged, and it was insane. I remember thinking, like, how did this happen? How did this happen? So eventually, I mean, I I, uh, I tried everything, though. I tried everything. I I was in love once when I was real young, and it was my fault. I was a, uh, I couldn't, I cheated on her quite a bit. And uh, I did love her, but I was young and stupid. But I never let anybody in, that total in where it was, you know, because I knew it was going to be coming. But I let her in because she was having my son. And so it made me let her in. And uh, she used that to her advantage. I remember the day ended between us. Um, This is how damaged sometimes people can be. I never forget this. She told me, we're in the mutable argument. She says, God took the wrong brother. And I remember being in shock. I remember being in so I wasn't even mad. I was in shock. Like, who would say that to somebody? If I loved or cared about you in any sense, why would I tell you that? It was like such, it wasn't. It had nothing off the wall. It had nothing to do with the argument we were in. And I remember, so when I knew that there was other things, other dimensional entities, demons, whatever you call, want to call them, that transpose onto people when they're broken and they're damaged because they're weak and they're not seeking God. They're not in his light. It makes you open to those things. I don't remember what she said, but I remember grabbing the arm and looking her in the eyes, wanting to look at me. Why would you say that? And there was like a smirk. i seen it. And it freaked me out. I called my sister, come over. It freaked me out. Who would want that? Who would want Who would want me to put her hands on her? You know, and it literally freaked me out. And that was, I guess, was the start of my kind of spiritual journey of trying to find myself again. Because I left her, and, um, and by this time I had already been using crystal meth. And it was a way to keep up with everything. I couldn't, having the baby come, I mean, she was really sick during pregnancy, so I'd take her to work, go to work myself, pick her up, come home, cook, clean, laundry, and I redid the whole house, drywall, electrical, everything, in nine months. I couldn't keep up with it, so I started using a substance to help me keep up with it. And uh, that was the start of it. And I remember my mom, they knew something was up, I admitted to my sister that day, I was like, I've been. Well, I left there, and I went to move in with my one buddy I met, uh, this guy, Steven. And uh, I never met anybody in my whole life that was so much like me. And uh, when I actually moved in with him, my crystal meth abuse probably quadrupled. But I put on, like, 20 pounds because the stress wasn't there. Stress is such a killer of everything in your life that it was. And so my mom's like, oh, you're you're doing better now. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good, you know. And – that was, a, that was a hard time. Even though I was like that, I was still trying to find myself. And at that point in time, it was, um, I didn't know who I was anymore. You know, I always was that guy that I excelled at whatever I did. You know, I always had more confidence than needed. My brother was almost less, he didn't hardly have any. He, it was, it was odd, we were like night and day. But when he passed away, it was like the yin and the yang. Without him to judge myself for, against I didn't have it anymore. It was gone. I could fake it, but it was gone. I didn't have the confidence in myself anymore. I didn't believe in me. I didn't know who I was. And uh, so it started, like I said, that spiritual journey. I knew I had to find something out. And I still didn't quite find God then. But uh, Stephen, I started, uh, I filed for parenting custody of my son. And four days later, my baby's mother filed a CPO on me. And the hearing That was probably the low point. The hearing I went to it that day, and without a shred of evidence, not a picture, not a witness, nobody from her family, nothing, they granted it. I felt I couldn't see my son. I didn't do anything wrong. The system that I fought for, that I was willing to give my life for, stepped on me. Two days later, I was shooting up. I went to the needle. I just didn't. I didn't want to be here no more. And I wanted something to numb. And whatever your drug of choice is, anybody knows recovery. It's whatever makes you feel like you're not you anymore. That you can exist without feeling all that pain and all that misery that hangs around you from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed. And there's no escape. So you find something to to take that away from you. You know, and I started shooting up. And my buddy, though, even though he was smoking and whatnot, he, he, in his own right, and then God spoke through him, and he called my family and let him know that I was doing that. So they get an intervention on me. Of course, I took off from it. You know, you don't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm my own person. You know, i got to figure it out on my own. So they did get me to finally admit, and I went to IOP voluntarily. I remember going to IOP. It was funny. I went to the building. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm here for, I need some drug treatment. Who sent you? Who authorized? I'm here of my own volition. They didn't. It was like it was the hardest thing to try to get in somewhere unless you are through the courts or you messed up. They didn't want to give you any treatment. It was like this battle. So I eventually get to ILP, and I am not court-ordered, so I don't have to go to meetings. I don't do all the extra stuff with it. I just go to ILP. And I wasn't using that time, but I faked the funk. I faked the funk. You know, it was uh, – I can always do that. It was sad. It's true, though. You know, it was um, – no? Huh? Schmooze? Yeah, schmooze. Yeah, yeah. It's – um so, like, I graduate uh, IOP three weeks later, I am using it again. And that's the slave. People talk about drug addicts, the slave to the needle. It's never the same again. It was such an instant, I no longer feel like me, that you, can't, you can always go back to it. Oh, eventually, I <laughs> have to graduate IOP, and uh, things break down with my family as well again. And I decide I'm going to throw myself to the wolves. I'm going to go and live this trap life where I'm going to be surrounded by the drugs, no longer have to look for drugs, so I live at the trap house. We sell them here. And I wasn't necessarily selling drugs, but my Marine Corps knowledge, I started doing security for plugs, drug dealers. They're high drug dealers. People that move pounds, things like that. And in Akron at the time, there was a lot of kidnappings, a lot of people getting robbed. And it was. I was always saying I was to by a couple of different plugs because I thought, like a Marine would think, strategically. And nobody got kidnapped, nobody got robbed. Nothing. Everything was fine whenever I was looking after something. And so that was my excuse. Hey. I'm not doing nothing. If they cops come, hey, it's not my business to know what they're doing. I get paid to do a service, but it's just, it's lies. It's what you tell yourself to try to make yourself feel better, you know. Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm bad, but i as bad as them, you know. It, I, I try something to make myself exist because you don't want to. So I'm living the trap life, and it's somewhere in there. It was, it's, I'm. I told some people earlier, I'm thankful for it because I've, somehow I found myself, found that my strength. 'Cause everybody there was all connected, different gangs, different affiliations, different colors, whatever it is. I didn't I hadn't been part of that environment for a long time since I was a kid. So I don't know. I threw myself to the wolves. Sink or swim. Sink or swim, dude. What are you gonna yeah. do? And somehow I, I didn't in that I didn't I found myself I found that I could I could uh hack it. I could, I could make it no matter how bad things were out there. And there was times that God was with me. Like, um, I was at a trap one time and it's about 2:30 in the morning and I'm kind of laying back on the couch and right over top of it, five, five, six rounds, tap, 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 right over my top of my head. Tap, 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 tap. And I remember shoop, slinging out, low crawling, make sure everybody's all right. Everything, like, everything's cool. Everything's cool. And uh, I looked at it, I'm like, Oh, it's five, five, six rounds in the, in the wall. Like, how do you know? Cause I know, I know what they look like as they enter. You know, it's, it's one of those things for being a marine. But, um, and 10 minutes later, I'm back on the couch. They're like, how are you sleeping? I'm like, it's a Tuesday. It's not that big a deal for me, you know? Plus, I knew, hey, if I was going to die tonight, God would take me. Obviously, it's not my night. So, there was times that he was there. I see it now. And there was times that, uh, it got crazy, man. It was like this crazy, insane life. But, and, uh, with me and shooting up and math, I wouldn't sleep. I'm already ADHD and PTSD. And they mirror each other. So, it's like a double dose. So, I have this energy of, like, a six-year-old. And I'm 40. Nobody guesses for it, but I am 40 And that's okay, you know, I'm proud of that fact I have to show people my ID I'm like, I swear, I'm 40, I'm not lying to you I just don't age, I don't know, it's weird (laughs) But uh, I said, God was out there for me And eventually, it got to a point where They talk about, people have a Like I said earlier, you have a spiritual awakening As a result of these steps Somebody, but I had a spiritual awakening For any of that, because I knew God, God knew, he had a plan for me, he had a purpose for me I was not going to stop. I was going to die ripping and running. I didn't want to be here. I didn't. I didn't want to face everything I had to face. I didn't want to face those demons. I didn't want to do that stuff. So I am going to get dropped off at a house about 3 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Well, I didn't talk to my buddy an hour. He must have passed out. So I get dropped off, and there's nobody there. I can't get hold and I can't get in. So I start walking. And it kind of ended up, I started using with uh, my baby's mother's brother. It was kind of like the start of it. It was weird how it came full circle. I'm walking past his house. And I kind of see when the light's on, so I keep walking. I circle back around the block, come up. tap on the window. He goes, hey, hey, blah, blah, blah. And we used again. That was the 24th of, uh, the morning of the 24th of May, 2018. And we're using all this, and I hear my baby's mother's not doing well. My son, who knows what could be happening. And I'm thinking about things, and it just hit me. God put this wave of the first time in so long that I felt peace. I felt grace. And I didn't deserve it. As grace is, I didn't deserve this. And it hit me and I crying and weeping for hours, messaging my mom and sister and thanking them for not giving up on me when I had given up on myself. Because they were always there for me. I wouldn't be here for, for them. They were my lifeline. If I needed something, if I needed anything, they would drop whatever they were doing, no matter what I did. No matter how whole horrible person I was, they were there for me, you know? Uh, my buddy Stephen told me the other day, uh, yesterday, You probably have the best sober support network I've ever seen in my life. And that's why I am here today. As much as I am doing with this recovery, it's because of you. And the person I am today is because of my mother. She taught me to love without boundaries. It's okay to be a man's man. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be these things. Be self-sufficient, but be open. Love. Love with all yourself whenever you can. You know, it doesn't matter if you get hurt because that's you. You know, it's you. You have to love. But... um, I'm writing them, and I knew I was done. It was weird. I just knew I was done. And they came and picked me up. And uh, for about three weeks, I um, went and saw Tug. Tug, that's my buddy. I can say no to Dope. Um, I love him. It's, uh, we don't always see eye-to-eye on everything, but we have a common goal. And uh, he did help save my life. Uh, it's funny. I met him through somebody. It was, like, very impromptu. I showed up one of his things. I love you too, brother. So he asked me to come down almost every day. He, he knew I was serious. Like, I was not running the streets. I was coming down seeing him. And this was God. This was the God moment that really made me. That's when I knew that God was going to be real. I didn't want to go to spiritually-based treatment. I didn't want somebody to cram their religion down my throat. I, it was, I believed in God, but I didn't know what I believed in. I was trying to be raised Catholic, and I don't believe in that. I don't believe there's nine the things I have. I'm not going to doubt anybody's religion. I'm not going to talk bad about it. But for me, it wasn't me. It wasn't, it, I didn't feel the Holy Spirit I didn't feel God so and I saw in this world evangelists on TV they get busted for other things they preach that they're loving God but they don't live that life behind closed doors there's somebody completely different and nobody's perfect but if you're a man of God and you're seeking him you're surrendering to him there's certain things that you know you have to be relieved even if you have those thoughts tell him to relieve him of you he's the redeemer he can do whatever he is a miracle worker he can do whatever you ask him pray with him Tell him God give it to me. People tell me the time I don't know how to pray. You pray to God like he's a loving father. Talk to him. Doesn't matter how it is. You don't have to have some big words. You don't have to have some huge. Just talk to him. Tell him what you're actually feeling. You know. But uh, Tug finally, it's so weird. Like uh, they call, we called in the day. Finally, I'm, I'm ready to go treatment. I had issues with Melina insurance, my my Medicaid, all that stuff. And I wanted to go to this one in Youngstown, or outside of Youngstown. It's called California Palms. It was like the Shangri-La of treatments. Used to be an old hotel. They specialized with veterans. They had a pool, spa, workout room, your own rooms. It was like this, oh, oh, this is where I'm going to (laughs) go. Well, they stopped taking Melina insurance like a day before, a day before. And that's why I chose Melina. (laughs) But, uh, all right, so I got to go. I got to get going. It's been about three weeks. I've kept myself clean. I'm not going to be able to keep doing this. I need help. I need help with this. He calls around all day long. I'm talking all over Ohio. Into Pennsylvania, into West Virginia, everywhere there's no beds available, and this is this time of the year. It's in June. June 17th is the day I left. Usually wintertime time it's hard because people are homeless, they don't want to be cold, so that you can't find a bed. This is the middle summertime. People sleep outside. They don't care about right, ever. And there was nowhere. There's nowhere available except for one. It was the Alpha House out in Oberlin, Ohio, and it was spiritually based treatment. I told, oh man, come on, come on, dude anywhere but that that's when we called into west virginia pennsylvania all these other states there was no beds anywhere that was god that's where i was gonna go he had a plan for me i get out to the alpha house and i'm kind of hesitant it's a smaller place it's uh they have 28 beds four more mit which is like a sober house they've already been through the program 24 beds and there's a guy um, brian wade i called him b he was a pastor's son grew up in missions Groping, treatment places, all these kinds of things. He was a, um, he lived his life around helping people and missionaries. And this man who lived in Lakewood, who had a good marketing job, gave it all up. F- almost a $500,000 home. Gave it up to live in the mother-in-law suite next to this house with his wife and his five kids. This tiny little place gave it all up. Took, he was hardly getting paid anything. Scrap here and there. That's what made me realize that there's truly good people in this world. And the Alpha was, you know, we had normal therapy Monday through Friday, about 4 hours, 8 to 12. But everything else was based around, we had armor of God, spiritual warfare, addicts of the cross. Everything was based around finding God and knowing him in your life. So I worked at programs, all these things, and I gave it, and one thing, one of the best compliments I've ever received, Brian told me, I've never had anybody take it by the horns like you from the jump. This is why when I got there, I'm like, you know what? I want to be resident moderates, head resident watches everybody else. I want to shoot for goals. I want something from this life. If I'm going to, they call it bipolar, I call it extremism. I'm all or nothing. <laughs> I'm, I'm either going to do it with everything I've got or not. What's the point? You know, you, you never know what is possible till you push past that impossible. You know, to you, to you, somebody says you can't do it? Mm-mm. Your belief. Believe you can. Believe in God. He knows you can do it. You've got to push past it. So I'm out there, and I'm doing well. It wasn't easy. There was days I cried. There was days I struggled. There was days I prayed to God. That's when I really found God. And that's when I stopped feeding my mind with all the worldly stuff. I stopped listening to hip-hop because I love to dance. Well, I still listen to it, but it has to have a positive message. The words you speak, words carry power. I tell people all the time, the whole universe was started from a spoken word, something smaller than a quark. A quark is smaller than a neutron and an atom. It's that tiny. Science has already proved this. 13.6 billion years ago, Pfft. and the odds of it not imploding on itself or exploding completely—nothing—are astronomical. You have a better, you have a better chance of winning the Mega Millions ten times in a row than that happening. And people say God doesn't exist. Like it actually takes more faith to believe He doesn't exist than to believe He exists. Look at it. And people all the times tell me, "Oh, uh, science religion—they prove each other to me. They prove each other to me. You know, like uh, uh, Einstein's famous equals mc squared. You know, it's uh, you know." Th- But in there it says, energy is neither lost nor gained. It's just merely transferred. So the energy that you are today when you pass. There's no more energy in the body. What happens? It's your soul. That part of you, the energy, it does transfer. So to me, it it, it proves one another. It doesn't disprove it. It goes hand in hand. So (coughs) anyway, I'll get back to the Alpha House. Um, I'm there. I'm I'm doing everything I can. um, And I graduate the program about four months, six-month program. And I graduated four months. I stayed out there, and I thought I was going to come back to town. Come back to town, all good. Well, I started At that time, I was going to church every weekend with, with Brian, and we were going to the Journey Church on Avon. And uh, we went to their Hunger and Thurs Thursday, which is all worship on Thursday night, first Thursday of every month. And it was the first time I'd ever got in, like, the worship like that. And it was like, I cried. I knew something hit me. It wasn't time to leave. Was something I had to do there. At that time, the guys that got busted, there was a guys, five guys that got busted. Some of them were monitors. They were guys that had been there a while, supposed to be leaders. Got busted for using drugs in Elf House, and they were passing the the urine screens by using taking shampoo bottles, their leg, all this other stuff. And uh, I just knew everything the Elf House did to me, I'm all to a fault. I couldn't leave it like this. I couldn't leave it like this. I considered, I told B, like hollow Ground, almost like Paris Island. I went in there, somebody completely different now. You know, it was change. It was a true change in me. So I stay there. I'm a resident monitor. I'm uh, watching guys. I write them up. I'm working. I'm doing all these things, and I can take, I got to take oh, to, that was the worst. It was right next to Walmart. And guys every day, can you take me to Walmart? Can you take me to Walmart? See, so i I'm like, I've been to Walmart probably 30 times in like five days. I'm like, I can't stand Walmart now. <laughs> but I'm out there, and in. I stay about an extra two months, and it was weird. I came back, it was very impromptu. I just kind of knew it was time. I came back home, and I, I, even though I didn't have to, because uh, I am actually on probation through the courts in lieu of conviction, which means I get my felony sealed in June here, because I've done everything. Thank you. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you. And uh, I move in with Tugs. He has this brand-new sober house over on 13th Street and Kenmore Boulevard, which anybody knows Camore Boulevard. That is the epicenter of the drug epidemic. <laughs> it is every day. And, but I knew at that point I was strong enough, plus being around there, and I didn't have to be there, but it was the next right decision. What am I going to do now to ensure that I'm on this path that God put me on? You know, and uh, I move in there. And it wasn't easy. I had to read to Akron again. I didn't know anybody because I, I blocked all friends, anything like that on Facebook, all that stuff. I did not want to be part of that life anymore. So it was a lot of solitude, which is not a bad thing because I talked to God all the time. And in treatment, I learned to read my Bible, which... The second day I was there, I cleaned out the room. I found this Bible underneath the bed. Nothing in it, nothing at all. It was an Old and New Testament together. And I told B, I was like, hey, I found, found this Bible. He goes, sounds like God left it there for you. So I've had this with me every day wherever I go, everywhere. i am always had it with me. I read it. <laughs> and in it, I've got highlights. I've got notes. I've got all these things. And it's, it's amazing how I like to go back through it. And you realize you're at a different point or you get different truths from it, it's, it never gets old. It's something, there's always a deeper truth, always a deeper understanding because it's God's Word. It's perfect. It's love. It's everything that you need. And I realized at some point in time, all the things I post on Facebook, all those things I've, oh, you know, thanks for inspiration, all that stuff, everything, every good and true thing that's ever been said, it was said there first. It's just a different way of putting it. You know? So it, it, everything good and true and, and right in this world comes from God Himself. Uh, so I get back here to the, uh, the sober house, and it was different when I was there. There was a lot of guys who we call white-knuckling sobriety or dry-drunking. White-knuckling sobriety is you're not working on yourself. You're just not using, which makes you kind of miserable. So I was there, and, man, it was hard. There was days that I stewed in them bad feelings because I, I knew then that I didn't want to make a bad decision if I didn't know what the right decision was. I'll sit here and feel this pain, this misery for the moment, because I know it will pass, and I'll pray to God, and he'll eventually take it from me. And so I'm there, and it's a lot different now. Tug decided he was going to move in, and I came back. I realized now why I came back at that time. Tug and uh, was in a long relationship, and it was a kind of a bad breakup. And God put me there to be there for him, and I'm thankful for that, because I was kind of watching my life play out. If you ever notice that, if you work on yourself and you get through things in life, you will meet people who are at a prior point to you. It's like watching your life play out before you because you're there to help them. God put you there for a reason, you know? So take those things, heal from them, become a better person, because God's going to put you in the people that need you. That's what it's going to be. And that's what the, the, the sober house is now. We have a good group of guys there. I'm a senior man. I take that seriously. Like resident monitor, I take it seriously. I lead by example. I try to. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect at all. No way, shape, or form. But I try my best to set the example for these guys to understand that, that, that you need meetings. You need God. You need church. You need, you need to be. You don't have to be perfect. You can still be you. But it means to be, find yourself in Christ. To find your image in God himself in you is the most amazing feeling because it humbles you. You have to realize, I don't care what other people think. I like, I like everybody, but my self-image comes from Christ. My self-interest comes from knowing that when it comes to the major decisions in my life, I'm going to make the right ones because God's got my back. And he is real. He is there everywhere. It was funny. I, because of my, I never had a felony like this before. I couldn't find a job. And I have interviews, and I'm a good schmooze. I'm a good interview. I had these amazing interviews. Knock it out of the park. No callback. I never experienced this before. I talked my way into jobs when I was younger. You know, I had no business, no, no experience, no nothing. 18 years old, I talked my way into the job because move them, you know. And I couldn't, and it was so frustrating. And I remember at this point in time, I met my friend Amber, and she was there for me when I had nobody. And I will always be forever thankful for that. She got me out. She got me going to uh, Community of Christ Church. It's a good church. It's a group of it's a group of uh, addicts. Pastors, are former addicts. Most parishioners are former addicts. It's right in Grand Street, in the hood. It's a good place. There's good people there. And they do an Ark Recovery Center. They have ARC meetings. It's all spiritually based, so it's, it's um, I'm all for that. But um, I finally go to CUNY Christ, and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I have $16 to my name. I'm doing odd jobs here and there, what I can to pay my rent and and do what I can. But I'm not I'm not furthering myself. All right, God, All right, God, put your faith, put your money where your faith's at. I had $16 to my name. I gave $8 to the tithe and $8 to the building fund. The next day, I found a job. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell this story, too, because I told my boss about this this week. I told him that one, and then I told him this. The Easter weekend. I'm already working for him, and uh, things are going better. I had Easter Day, because Good Friday service is amazing. Saturday, we had the pancake breakfast. We had the, the Easter egg hunt and the, the giveaway. That was one of the best weekends of my life. Like, I love to serve. I love to volunteer. I love to. If you've seen this little girl's face when she won that ticket, she was so excited. It was amazing. I was like. Oh my God, like, that is, it was, it was, it felt like home all weekend. But Sunday comes, and we have amazing worship service, and we're, we have the two, and the second one, we asked for the tithes. I had a 50 and seven ones in my wallet. Ask, I guys, hey, you make a change, change? No, 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 okay. All right, God, all right. $50 to the tithing, send it through. The next day, I got a dollar raise. Tell me, tell me, God doesn't exist. Like, you know, God blesses you you can bless others. And the more that you bless others, the more he blesses you to bless others. And I've seen it exponentially. We have now the 13th Street Sober Squad, click clack. (laughs) But it's a group of guys who all lived a hard-nosed life. We found our identity in each other and in God. And we watch out for each other. We build each other up. We make sure we're there. And I've never experienced something quite like this before in my life. Um, I love those guys, man. Like I would do... I would do almost anything for y'all. Like, you guys have been there for me, and we, we vibe, and we, we do well, and we, we exalt each other's successes. My dude, I'm happy to... That's my success, too, because you're my dude. You know? And we joke around with it, click-clack and all that stuff, but we... We're going to do amazing things together, guys. I know it. God, God's going to find us, you know what I mean? And so, well, uh, I'm... I'm I am just, I'm just proud because this, this thing where I found out at the Alpha, Brian, his brother-in-law Nick, who was a house chaplain, and Jose was the night guard. They were such good men, good godly men. They made you want to be better just being around them. That transposing, because we are a product of the five closest people to each other. We we transpose upon each other. That's why yawns are contagious. Our neurons automatically link up, even if you still don't say a word. So be careful who your inner circle is, because you're going to start to transpose. And I see it every day. These guys, I see little bits of me that transposes onto them, and it makes me happy because it's good parts. I try to feed them hope and love and truth, and and I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be, but they know that my intentions are always there to do the best for you guys, and I take that something very seriously. So I'm going to finish almost wrapping this up. Is that This is that um, God has kind of put me on this course. Like I said, my family is going to be gone here in June. I've done everything I can, knocked out of the park with everything, Everything I possibly could, and then some. Um, and I had a really good job waiting for me here. Like, I just don't have to have a felony. My one buddy, it's six figures. It's insurance and benefits. It's easy. It's a lot of hours, but it's not that I can sell. Because when you sell, you're not selling the product. You're selling yourself. And um, But God's putting things, other things in my path. He's, um, since, I mean, a, see a tug, they came for Aspire and to learn about because he's Frank Wiley in the news. He's uh, come and talked. Well, he talked to me for a good twenty minutes, interviewing me, and they played a live on the news, which I'm very humbled and thankful for. And it's kind of get my name out there and things like that. But uh, then I walked in a parade for, with, with Tug as well for Judge Fish, and these people love me, I danced and, and the whole time, and hand out candy, and you know I have the energy. To me, I have the energy that that and people say, "Where well, you? I wish you could, could bottle that." It's, it's if I could, I wouldn't have to work. But it comes from God. Like there's days that I come here and I'm kind of, been a long week and whatnot. We get into worship and it's just, I don't know. I start to feel it. It's amazing. And, and I'm, all these things are good things are happening. This is the first time I give my testimony. Uh, next weekend at Saturday is going to be Quake of the Lake. It's one of the largest recovery events we have. It is a good place. A lot of speakers, a lot of music, a lot of good times. It's going to be a giant recovery event of people trying to push in the same direction. And after that, I'm gonna speak there as well. I'm. Uh, I want to. I want to do my. I want to start faith and fitness recovery. It's something to me that, that. that's what I found is the cornerstone of mine is that, I treat my try to treat my body like the temple that it is. I eat right. I exercise. I do those things. It gives me the energy to do all these other things that I need to do. And faith, faith, God relieves me. I don't have days where I wish I was using. It. I don't have days where I wish I was high. I don't have it no more. God relieves that of me. And that's odd in the rooms. And today, I can honestly say I love my life. It's busy. It's crazy. Work, softball, work, meetings, work, church, work. It's, it's I, I'm always constantly on the go. And now, even more so, I'm getting pulled in all directions. Valor court wants me. Mentorship wants me. All these people want me. Da, 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 da. But I want to, like I said, it's, it's God putting these things in my path to be able to actually start my own recovery, my own like faith and fitness. It's something I've, it's notes it wants me to do because I could take that job, but money ain't everything. I've had lots of money. Never made me happy. I want to do something where I wake up tomorrow and I get to go to work. I get to go to work. I get to change lives. I get to, I get to see that light bulb coming to somebody. I get to feed it to them and watch them change their life around. That to me is one of the most amazing things. In the rooms, they have a saying that says the, the, the proposition of one addict helping another is without parallel. Because not only do you help that addict, but it helps you. I had a day in treatment where I woke up mm, mm, one of them days. One of them days, I just wasn't me, didn't feel like doing this. It's probably about, what, two or three months in, something like that. Well, I tried to play volleyball. We played there all the time. Game and a half in. I didn't even want to play. I'm the most competitive person in the world. I don't feel like playing. My family comes out. My mom and sister, they visit with me. They could tell. I, don't, I, I, I didn't cut it off early. I'm going to go back inside. I'm going to take a nap. I don't, I don't like today. I don't feel it, you know? And uh, I went and took a nap and got up, and I still feel that way. I mean, I slept like two hours. Got up, didn't feel that way. We had our own little meeting there. It was called Walk It Like You Talk It. It was like a, uh, you know, we talked to everybody, but there's a kid Tanner there. And I said something, and I see the light bulb going on his head. And at a moment in time, God instantly relieved me of that burden. It's it's when you help somebody, you help yourself. You don't understand, like, how much it means, you know? Like, to, uh, to truly help somebody in, the, in a battle and a struggle they're having with, God gives you this, this grace and this mercy and this love and this peace that is indescribable. And it fills you with, with pride, but not pride for yourself. It fills you with pride that I'm fulfilling God's purpose. He put me here for a reason. If you pay attention, if you truly get to know God, like I tell these guys, read your Bible ten minutes a night. Ten minutes, with that? Read your Bible ten minutes a night and pray in that time. Just ten minutes, and don't see in a week if your life's starting to change. You don't see those little signs from God in everything that you do, everybody you cross. I and mean, it could be from TV, music, films, anything. He'll speak to you in so many different ways, it's not even funny. And you'll see that this path you're on, he's he's lining things up, like like I said, with this faith of fitness. It's I could have this other job. It's not what I want to do. He wants me to do this. That's why he put me through all this, put me through this struggle, put me through this pain, so I could be here right now. Because he gave me gifts that I love to help people, and I have this and this energy, and you can transpose to people, and it's it's what I want to do. It's my passion for it. Like it's, uh, and I'm just thankful because it's for him. It's for his glory. It's for his glory, and it's for, and that is something that's forever. Um, I'm going to basically kind of wrap this up now. I appreciate everybody being here, but I wanted to say as it was going that uh, one of my favorite things that uh, Pastor Todd says is that uh, you are anointed. You are blessed. You are highly favored. Find God. Find him in your heart. Find him in your soul. Surrender to him completely. (laughs) <laughs> I can't believe in a year I'm here, I'm doing these things. Like, all glory God, I thank you guys.
0: Hallelujah. You know, I was thinking of, uh, you can remain standing as we're going to close and, and sing a song. But as the praise team comes, I was thinking about something that you said in regard to your brother. Your brother saw your potential. As much as you saw his potential, he saw your potential. And just because we make one mistake doesn't define who we are the rest of our life. Because our God is faithful He is the way maker He's the miracle worker He's the promise keeper And if you're here today And you don't know the God that CJ's been talking about I love that guy And, and, And life is about pouring into other people We started this church on a deck To start pouring into people If you don't have new hope You have no hope I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about God. And that man gave a story of grace and of mercy and of love. And that's what our life is like when we walk in Christ. So as you journey ahead and you have mentors that are around you, like Tug and and Donnie and Chris and your what street is it? 13th Street. Yeah, click, clack. Know that you have people that love you And then you have a mom And a sister and a church family That cares for you And when you feel unloved Know that God loves you And this is why I pastor This is truly what it's about I mean I I love having my family here We all have a story And our story is One of grace and redemption But now I want Your attention to be Driven right up here you don't have jesus christ you have nothing i don't want you to walk out of this building without the hope of christ and you know we never close our service without letting people know that if you just believe in god you have life jesus christ came he died so that you can have life and have it abundantly now this church has been here for years people have wept over this altar People have cried over this altar. This altar is for you. It's not just for me. It's not just for the praise team. It was not just for CJ. It's for you. You know, the old hymn says, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give freely. You give him your hurt, your pain, your hang-ups, everything. Just give it to him because I want you to know something. He believes in you. For you are anointed. You are highly favored. You are a child of the Most High God. And He loves you. So, if you would just bow your head with me, everyone in the room, if you just bow your head and then as we sing this song, I love this song, one of my own personal testimonies of what I believe that God is. He is the way maker, He's the miracle worker, He's the one that I believe in. And if you're in this room today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, He's never become your Lord and Savior. Would you make him your Lord and Savior today? Is there somebody in the room here today that nobody's looking around? Just slip up your hand and I could pray for you as as a pastor and put put you on my list. Then maybe you've been struggling here lately and you just need some prayer. Is there someone in this room just amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 All over the room. Well, I'm going to be praying for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And and if you came here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to say a prayer And I want you to know who He is because C.J. had to come to a place in his life where he came to find out who Christ was. And that same man has delivered Him. So if you're here today, just say this with me. Dear Lord, I come before you with arms open wide. Lord, I know that you came, you died for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Purify me. Forgive me of those sins. Cleanse me. Come into my heart and into my life. I will make you Lord of all. If you're here today and you said that prayer, you are now born again. You can go in peace, you can go in comfort. And so, Father God, we love you. We praise your holy name. We thank you for each and every person that's in here. For we all have our story. A story of redemption. Of being reborn. And so, God, we worship you. And we praise you. For you are worthy.